This is Transit Unplugged, and I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And welcome to Comfort's Corner. Here in the United States, this is the week of Thanksgiving, and we have so much to be thankful for here in this country and around the world. And we've got a great episode of Comfort's Corner coming your way today. On our hotline news, headline newsmaker, we've got Alejandra Cruz-Ross, transport specialist in sectoral policies department of the International Labor Organization from the United Nations. She's going to talk to us about a recent study they did and some findings and the importance of keeping our employees foremost in what we do here in public transportation. Also, we'll take a look at headline news, a number of our leaders in the news over the last week or two, and then a look at the future of public transportation, as well as our Mike's Minute on Kindness and Alea Carey's Messaging Minute. Big headline news for you today. Uh, Joe Biden, America's president-elect, has tapped a familiar California figure to run his transportation transition team. Phil Washington, the chief executive officer of LA Metro, Los Angeles County's transit agency, is now head of the transportation transition team and will oversee a panel of experts tasked with advising Biden on the decision and direction of federal transportation policies and agencies, including Amtrak and the US Department of Transportation. You may have heard that Mayor Eric Garcetti in Los Angeles has been discussed as a potential cabinet appointee, perhaps as transportation secretary in a Biden administration. Other members of Biden's transportation transition team include Polly Trottenberg, the commissioner of the New York City Department of Transportation, and Therese McMillan, previously Metro's in LA's chief planning officer. Now she runs the Bay Area's nine county transportation planning agency up in the San Francisco area. And then uh, Brad Mims, my good friend, who is uh, an official of the local airports authority here in the Washington DC area and uh, head of Comto will also be on the transition team. So some great leaders on the uh, transition team. Other big news uh, in the industry from folks uh, is that uh, the longtime CEO of Dallas DART, Dallas Area Rapid Transit, uh, Gary Thomas has announced he is retiring um, and at the end of uh, the first month of the upcoming year, and at a special meeting of the Dallas Area Rapid Transit Board, they have selected former Chief Financial Officer, CFO of DART, David Leininger, to serve as DART's Interim President and Executive Director. Uh, David's a good friend of ours here on the program, has been a guest on the show, and uh, I spent some time with him there in Dallas, working, uh, watching him work on his the new app that they put in place, the Mobility as a Service, one of the leading examples of a tremendous mobility as a service program that, they, that he helped oversee there at DART. So again, the appointment follows Gary Thomas's recent decision to retire from DART after almost 20 years of leadership in the agency. Uh, Leininger will join the agency as deputy executive director um, this month and assume the role of interim executive director on February 1st. Thomas's retirement is effective at the end of January 2021 He'll continue to provide support for the interim president, executive director, and the board on a part-time basis as needed. And they have established an ad hoc search committee to lead a comprehensive national search process to identify uh, a permanent president, executive director of DART. So um, big news there um, in what's happening in big names in the industry. We'd already reported that Deborah Johnson was selected as CEO of the Denver Transit Agency, but she officially started this last week. Congratulations to her. And the other big news uh, coming out of the transit world this week uh, and mobility world actually, is that Hyperloop, uh, Virgin Hyperloop became the first one to put passengers on board one of their test vehicles. 
And uh, the vehicle, of course, is still traveling well under subsonic speeds, but it is a, um, a big win. And um, there was a lot made of it in the news media as a great way to show. And they actually had a second group of passengers ride as well just recently to show that it is safe for passengers on board is what their aim was. And also to show uh, just how it works and to get you know, some of the publicity out there about all the news they're doing in Hyperloop. Well, that's it for headline news for today's episode. Stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview and for a look at the future of public transportation. Thank you for being with us. Have a happy Thanksgiving, those of you here in the U.S., and a safe one. We'll talk to you later on on the program. Thank you for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, part of Transit Unplugged. And today we're excited to have on our Newsmaker interview hotline, Alejandra Cruz-Ross, who is the transport specialist at the International Labor Organization, the ILO, which is a United Nations specialized agency that focuses on the world of work. And we're talking today, she's in Geneva, but we always hear about all these UN organizations being over there. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure. And hello to all the audience of Transit Unplugged. Thank you very much for the invitation, Paul. Yeah, well, when I saw that you all had done a study on uh, urban transport services and the impact of COVID-19, I thought this is a perfect, uh, you know, perfect thing to talk about on our show. Before we get into the details of the study, tell us a little about yourself and about the ILO and give us a background about what you all are doing there as part of uh, this international labor organization, part of the United Nations there in Geneva. Yes, thank you. Well, in short, the ILO promotes jobs and protects people. It's an international regulatory agency that, as you mentioned, is part of the United Nations system, but it actually predates it because it was born in 1919 out of the ashes of World War I. And one of the ILO's founding principles is that universal lasting peace can only be established if it is based on social justice. And we have a tripartite structure that brings together representatives of not only governments, but also workers and employers. The mandate of the agency is the world of work, and the ILO promotes its mandate through a decent work agenda. And decent work is actually included as SDG 8 of, 20, of the 2030 agenda and puts people at the center of development. The ILO promotes not only employment, but work of quality. And its decent work agenda is based on four pillars, employment creation, social security and social protection, social dialogue and collective bargaining, and the fourth is international standards and fundamental principles and rights of work. We also have a range of cross-cutting policy drivers like gender equality or a just transition or tripartism. But what we're, we're talking transit here. So you're probably wondering how we integrate these decent work agenda into specific sectors. So whereas most of uh, the ILO policy departments are specialized in specific labor issues, the sectoral policies department where I work is cross-cutting as it analyzes all labor issues pertaining to specific sectors. And we do that for 22 sectors, including the transport sector. Very good. So uh, you guys just did a study about a brief on COVID-19 and urban transport services. Can you tell us about that? Yes, um, so it's a 10 page brief. It was published a few weeks ago. And it provides a condensed analysis on the impacts of some of the preliminary consequences of the pandemic in this industry and its workers on a global basis. The two common denominators have been decline of ridership and the exceptional financial support that will be needed to enable an employment rich and its full recovery. 
and we increasingly learn more about uh, the novel coronavirus and you know, governments have implemented different necessary operational measures to the services to preserve lives, whether by shutting down the services or allowing for service continuity with certain necessary restrictions. And well, as an ILO official, I represent the views of all workers, employers and governments. And um, I've listened to the podcast and I think that the challenges of the industry and authorities have been discussed in many episodes. So in this case, exceptionally, I will discuss more at length the content of the ILO brief from the workers' challengers uh, perspective uh, to bring that to your audience. So the first section of the brief discusses the impact of the pandemic and the impact on workers um, has been manifold and devastating. Um, when the service has been shut down, it has meant in some cases that workers have had no wages or workers have been sick or driving fatigue due to the fact that some regulations have been relaxed to face the shortages and other consequences of the pandemic. Or in some cases, given the gaps in labor law and social security systems, some urban transport workers have not been able to rely on paid sick leave and hazard pay from like other frontline workers have been offered on account of their work during this pandemic. And well, then in some cities, the reality of the situation is that 40 to 80% of urban transport services are provided by informal workers. And these workers are falling through the cracks of social security and financial programs. I mean, they're facing an almost impossible dilemma. Either they go out to work in dangerous conditions to bring in some earnings, or they, or they sit at home with no food on the table. Plus, demand is shifting, and there is no guarantee these informal livelihoods will still be there after COVID-19. And perhaps here I want to make a specific parenthesis on women, as they have been in the sharp end of this pandemic. I mean, for one, the service has a vital role, particularly for women, as they rely more heavily on public transport to access services and perform care responsibilities. And, but from the workforce perspective, the transport sector is, is still strongly male dominated and violence, sexual harassment and the intimidation by men uh, has been identified as one of the main concerns in urban transport operations and to attract and retain more women and talent in this sector. Also, uh, women transport workers have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic due to the gender segregated nature of the sector and the overrepresentation of women in customer service roles and cleaning work, which are often subcontracted. In another section, the brief also documents some of the main occupational safety and health challenges like, for example, the importance of preventing measures like physical distancing that the ILO recommends to be two meters, which is a bit more than six feet, and the provision of personal protective equipment. And also here, I want to make another parenthesis on a word that is probably not mentioned often in this podcast, and that's toilets. I can't emphasize enough that clean and decent sanitation facilities are such a crucial issue for transport workers. This might require replanning routes and, you know, with the close downs and other necessary measures, many public spaces used by transport workers may not be available. Um, 
We also saw there is a rise of unruly behavior and transit rage, and that's of great concern. In some cities, aggressive behavior against drivers and vandalism of public transport property has been on the rise. So for example, in July, Philippe Monguillot, a bus driver in Bayonne, France, was assaulted and died after he reportedly asked three or four passengers to wear a face mask. Um, workers are also at the risk of illness as other frontline workers, uh, they might be stressed to catch the virus or passing it on to family members and friends. And I think here adequate and regular communication between operators and their workers is needed to boost morale, encourage self-care, inspire team spirit and protect and reassure workers. And well, unfortunately, we can see that workers have lost their lives in New York City, London, Toronto, Bogota, Mexico City and Paris. And these deaths have been accounted for as these numbers have been disseminated by unions, but we don't know, or we don't have the data of worker death in informal operations or for non-unionized or contracted out workers. I think it is cooperation between management and workers and their representatives that can be a crucial element for workplace related preventive measures. Now on a second section, the brief discusses examples and information on responses. So for example, at the international level, UN Habitat, another UN agency has issued a couple of documents to support local governments to manage safe urban mobility. And also the ILO documents uh, includes a brief overview of worker, employer and government responses to the pandemic including from ILO's sectoral social partners. And here I want to highlight, uh, there's a joint statement that provides policy guidance and was adopted by the International Association of Public Transport, the UITP, uh, the International Transport Workers Federation, the ITF, the International Union of Railways and United Cities and local governments. And finally, in the third section, um, the brief includes a small selection of links of ILO tools, instruments, and other documents that can be useful as guidance uh, during these times. Very good. Where can people find the study or, or a link to it? Uh, sure, it's posted on online uh, and uh, in, in just Google ILO COVID urban transport and you will okay. be able to find it. Yes. That's excellent. Now, you mentioned to me earlier, Alejandro, that you had read uh, our book, The Future of Public Transportation, that you enjoyed it. What do you think the future of public transit is? Um, well, when looking through an industrial lens, how the future of transit might look like will highly depend on its workforce. So it will depend on the future of decent and sustainable work in urban transport services. And actually, Paul, this question is quite on the stop on the spot because I used that book uh, uh, because the ILO has been tasked uh, to organize a meeting on this specific subject. And I thought it was a great reference that came out very timely. Um, so this meeting was programmed for September 2020 but has been postponed because of the pandemic and it will be rescheduled by our governing body when it's possible. The background report um, of the meeting will actually be out in a few weeks and it borrows some of the concepts of the ILO Centenary Declaration for the Future of Work. It includes an analysis of the mega trends that are currently impacting the world of work, such as technological innovation, 
demographic shifts and urbanization, climate change and globalization and the effects of multinational operators and how they will impact decent work in this sector. Um, I think it's important when looking at the future to keep in mind that urban transport services are subject to the rights of public sector, public service delivery, which is one of the principles enshrined in Article 21 of the Human Rights Declaration. Um, the thing here is that we're talking about a basic service that enables many human rights, because at the end of the day, people will always have to move from one place to another to be connected to jobs, health, education, whatnot. So whereas the trend to privatize operations has been prevalent in recent decades in some regions, I think now we can also speak of an identifiable movement of remunicipalization as services might be coming back to be managed by public operators. So government cities and municipalities will have to balance on how they can deliver the best quality urban transport services to their citizens. And an important part of this delivery is how these jobs in the industry are promoted and made attractive and how its workers will be protected. And uh, there's just a sheer range. I think of our sectoral partners like the UITP, the International Transport Workers Federation, Public Services International just have put on the table a range of fantastic documents that can inform policy making for the future, can be on decent sanitation facilities, joint declarations on climate change, violence, harassment, public ownership, um, a push for accessibility and workforce diversity, um, the impact of artificial intelligence and algorithms on public services, the protection of whistleblowers, I mean, you name it. So when, meeting, when the meeting is rescheduled um, the, in, in the ILO's agenda, uh, it will be the right time to sit down and obtain worker, employer and government consensus, because it will be up to the ILO constituents and sectoral partners to draft and shape uh, recommendations at the international level on how the future of decent and sustainable work should look like for this sector. That's great. Um, and I guess to conclude, uh, the final question I have for you is, um, what are you hoping to accomplish with all your work there at the ILO? Well, Paul, at, at its core, the ILO is a regulatory agency. So in terms of its sectoral regulatory work, um, I mean, even the ILO's first instrument, Convention 1 of hours of work in industry encompasses within its coverage the transport sector and after that there have been waves of sectoral instruments and tools um, specific to sectors so for example for road transport sector 1939 1979 and 2019 there have been tools and instruments that were adopted uh, so i think uh, we, we we can talk in terms of regulatory waves or regulatory pendulums and actually, I think it's important to mention that the only ILO meeting specific to urban transport services happened back in 1965. So wow. that's, that's appropriate. That's my birth year. <laughs> so that meeting in that time adopted recommendations and made a number of conclusions on the regulation of working conditions and hours of work, overtime spread over night work, uh, rest and holidays, welfare facilities, and employment of women, occupational safety and health. And these issues, yes, they're still current and 
I'm not here to reinvent any wheel, but merely to support ILO constituents to draft and update any content of the regulatory principles uh, they may deem relevant to these times so that these principles can influence and shape policy for years and decades to come. Because why? Because governments look up to these international standards and tripartite regulatory text to draft and update and uh, repurpose their legislation and regulation. Um, and well, to conclude, uh, like Jeffrey Arndt uh, says in your future of transportation book, I think that transit uh, stands at crossroads today. And COVID-19 um, has come in some sort to accelerate uh, some of the megatrends that I already mentioned and that have an impact in this industry, whether it be in terms of digitalization, greening, increased demand in cities or formalization. But at the end, it is society as a whole that will win if these changes are implemented with a human-centered approach and while respecting as a foundation the ILO's international standards and fundamental principles and rights at work. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. You're, you're engaged in very important work for our industry internationally. We're in the midst of, um, really in the fall here on, on our show, Transit Unplugged, an international review. We've, we've just done some shows in Australia. We've uh, mm -hmm. got your show. We'll have Mohammed Benghazi from UITP. We had him. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, some shows from Africa. And so yes. I thought it was really appropriate to talk to you today about the work that the United Nations is doing in the public transportation sector. So Alejandro Cruz-Ross, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing with us your important work there um, at the ILO. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation, Paul. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. As we head into the holiday season or the end of 2020, in what can only be described as a challenging year, it is at this time of year that we typically take time to reflect. Many agencies start to strategize about the next year, formulate budgets, look at hits and misses from the prior year, and start to look at goals for the following. This will be a tough process with the pandemic and the operational challenges we have been through and the continued unknown. But what we do know is that thanks to the dedication and bravery of our operators and associated support staff, essential workers were able to continue to get to their jobs in 2020 in a year that that was critical. And transit continues to provide world-class service, moving people every day, keeping communities connected. Let's not forget that many of these actions were while our essential transit workers put themselves in danger to carry out these tasks. It's good to give thanks, so please take time out to thank someone who has selflessly gone above and beyond this year. We forget sometimes that every person we interact with, colleagues, peers, businesses that we frequent, all have lives behind the scenes, and we do not know the challenges or adversity that they may have faced. We just count on them for showing up, which they have continued to do. It's important to be kind, empathetic, and appreciate the service dedication of our transit industry. Thank them, thanks for listening, and kindness is cool. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. There are many great tools that can help you post to your social media accounts. These tools allow you to write posts and upload pictures and video and then schedule when you want the post to run. 
Some even offer up a selection of curated news items for you to share with your audiences. Most of these platforms have a free version or they don't cost a lot, and they save you time once you have them set up. That said, don't let your scheduled posts get in the way of engagement. Social media is about conversations with writers most of the time and with the broader audience of stakeholders who support public transit and the dollars that pay for it. Scheduling some social media is great because it makes your presence consistent and that helps increase the chance that your posts are seen. But don't miss the opportunity to monitor your accounts and empower your social media staff to respond to input from your audience. The very best transit social media accounts have strongly developed voices that actively seek out other engaged users and transit advocates for conversations that build loyalty and could positively impact use and community support. If you'd like to talk more about social media and transit or anything else related to communications and transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks for sticking with us here on Comfort's Corner, Transit Unplugged, uh, the leading podcast around the world for public transportation officials. It is heard in 99 countries, and thank you for being with us as we had a great newsmaker interview today with an official from the United Nations, um, Alejandra Cruz-Ross, as well as some headline news and a look at a messaging minute and a kindness minute. Now we always like to take a look at the future of public transportation. I've been doing a lot of speaking about the future of public transportation uh, in this month of November. Just recently spoken uh, on you know, keynote speeches and other things at the Canadian Urban Transit Association, the Qtric uh, conference where I moderated a panel on the topic and the Co-Motion conference. I've also got several coming up, uh, Lagos Fest in Lagos, Nigeria on December 15th and 16th. I'll be a keynote speaker there. Lagos, as you may know, is the largest city in Africa it's in the nation of Nigeria with 200 million people. And um, we have an African um, kind of a, a look into Africa with several upcoming episodes of uh, Transit Unplugged. We have Abimala Akinijo, who's the managing director and CEO of the Lagos Metropolitan Area Transport Authority coming up on our next episode on December 1st. And then uh, on the 15th, we have um, Ronald Wakater, who is CEO of DART, the transit agency in Tanzania at the Dar es Salaam Transport Agency. And we may have one more coming your way before the end of the year. We're excited to have John Rassant, who was the um, Co-Motion CEO uh, as our guest on the 9th. And they just we just finished a great Co-Motion conference for LA. And uh, I've also have put together an event with my colleagues at Trapeze in Australia for uh, on November 30th uh, will be a big event, uh, a webinar looking at the future public transportation with some of my dear friends from Australia, Howard Collins, uh, who works in New South Wales, who was the head of uh, Sydney Rail and now has been promoted to be a deputy director of the whole area there. Neil Scales, who heads up transportation in Queensland and Magda Robertson, who is a general manager there as well. It's hosted by Ben Dvorak, um, who is um, uh, a transportation leader, has been in Canada and the US and now in Australia. And it's going to be an online webinar. It'll be held on November 30th at 11 a.m. Australian time. It'll be Sunday night here in the Eastern United States. If you need more information on either of those events, take a look at my LinkedIn feed where I've got information about them. Also, as you look into potentially buying gifts for your friends uh, and your children and grandchildren for this upcoming Christmas holiday season around the world, 
my children's book, Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. Many have told me that they are getting that book for their children. It's a 30 page, 32 page book, a color picture book for children. It's now available uh, not only in English, but also Spanish and Portuguese. And now, just recently this coming uh, week, we will be putting it up in Hindi, the Indian language. And of course, the future public transportation, a former bestseller from earlier this month, is still selling like hotcakes around the world. People are buying the books as they look into what the future public transportation will be. I want to tell you about what the future of transportation is right now in the next few minutes. Uh, APTA, the American Public Transportation Association, recently did a study. Actually, Phil Washington, who, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is heading up uh, the Biden administration's uh, transition team, uh, headed up a study for APTA on COVID-19 and the recovery efforts that people are making. And uh, I'm an alternate member of BMBG, and uh, we recently had a a program where it was explained to us what the six-month study found out. And it's very interesting. Transit agencies are pursuing these technologies in pursuit of responding to COVID-19 pandemic. The number one thing that they're doing is contactless payment solutions, right? These are uh, anything such as wearables or contactless cards, um, moving to validators. I wrote an article for Metro Magazine earlier this year on that showed that the death of the fare box was something that may be coming as a result of COVID-19. And this, of course, points in that direction. Number two was on-demand applications. People want to be able to book their trip online. Uh, common payment platforms and mobility as a service applications were number three. Uh, and then vehicle cleaning, such as UV lights, uh, vehicle cleaning, biometrics, taking people's temperatures and ventilations were keys. And I thought it was interesting that uh, transit agencies have kind of reversed what they were doing in many cases as they analyze what are their top performance indicators, key performance indicators. You may recall that, you know, our number one key performance indicator in the industry has long been ridership, but now it is customer satisfaction as we try to get people back on the vehicle. Uh, and as we convince them that, you know, this is a safe experience for you, customer satisfaction becomes number one, ridership number two, and access to mobility options is number three. And the data management and analytics capabilities that agencies are considering employing to support transit operations are including occupancy in the GTFS real-time feed. This is a big uh, topic right now, one of the top trends in the country. You may recall earlier on an episode of Comfort's Corner, I interviewed David Gerstel, the chief digital officer at MBTA, and he talked about this real-time information that they're putting in the hands of passengers so you can see uh, you know, how many people are in the vehicle. They're also using public health data for operations decisions support, and they believe in creating a more robust data management platform to support flexible, dynamic operations environment. APTA said that transit agencies understand the need for transparency, data-driven social media campaigns to keep riders informed, and public awareness and marketing campaigns to encourage riders to return to transit. Some of the service modifications and cost containment that agencies have done to respond to COVID-19, about 80% of them have done service reductions, which we've seen. Unfortunately, some of them may be longer than expected. Travel prohibitions and capital expense deferrals, more than 70% of those responding to the survey from APTA said that they were employing these two approaches. And then a hiring freeze, about 40% of those uh, surveyed said that as well. And technical solutions aimed at increasing health and safety included physical distancing, touch-free devices, surface treatments and ventilation, and air sanitation is what agencies were looking at. When it came to touch-free devices, they were looking at automatic fare collection, phone-based app fare collection, 
automatic door opening systems and voice activated systems such as TVMs and elevators. And when it comes to physical distancing, the detail there was they were displaying the real time passenger density on your phone app. They were doing passenger counting, monitoring density at entry points, showing distancing requirements on platform signage and displaying real time passenger density on electronic screens. That's a look at the future of public transportation, what public transit agencies are doing in America right now to respond to COVID-19. Thank you so much for being with us on this and every episode of Transit Unplugged. Be sure you subscribe at transitunplugged.com. I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Transit Unplugged. Mm -hmm.